I think while a business can do okay on management, great businesses can't exist without a leader. If you're listening right now, you may not have the resources to go and bring in a business partner or pay for someone to be an operations manager. Someone's going to need to do it and that may need to be you right now, but know that you'll get to a point where you can bring that person in. Whereas if you're on the other side, you're a manager, you're good at managing people, you're probably getting a decent business built. In fact, you're probably going to have a higher chance of success of building a good business as a manager than you are as a leader without management skills. But I do think there is this amazing combo when you can bring the two together. Leadership with the vision and inspiration and the way to kind of paint things forward. And then the manager who's keeping things to account, keeping things on target. But hierarchy doesn't have to be about control and commanding. Hierarchy can be about leadership, about flow of information, and then about making sure that people have the right uh, direction of flow in accountability is probably the easiest way to say that. And what that means is that you have some staff who are responsible for pushing or pulling or leading or moving things in the right direction. And then you have other staff that are responsible for the doing work. And without getting into a million different layers of management, having some actual management and some leadership structure to execute that works really well. And I think fundamentally, you're never going to have a business that is not fluid in some way. It needs to be fluid and you need to be flexible as well. There's always going to be that one person who's in half a role or one team that's under-resourced or one team that's over-resourced or someone who's not performing great. That's just kind of part of it. I kind of have the feeling that for the most part, a business is only ever going to be 80 or 90% in control and that remaining 10 or 15% is going to feel out of control at, at any one time. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Entrepreneurs Rising. I'm your host, Peter Moriarty, with my amazing co-host, Carl Taylor, and we are talking all about how we lead teams for results in this episode. We're getting into our leadership and also our strategic operational execution on the day-to-day stuff because we like to keep things practical here. Uh, so, Carl, how are you doing, man? I'm doing amazing. Feel incredible. Awesome. It's a great day. I'm so glad to hear you're amazing. That's great. I wish I could uh, come and give you a cuddle or something for some physical touch and some close Virtual, virtual hugs. Virtual hug. States apart. Virtual hug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk about leadership in this episode. And you know what comes up for me when I think about that? I think, oh, what if I'm not doing a good job? What if, mm. what, if I'm not, what if I'm not a great leader? What if my team actually think I'm a shitty leader? which is interesting to come up for me because I think I have to have some level of effective leadership to have been able to grow and scale a team and to be able to have a business that actually operates and runs effectively. Um, But it's, uh, I think, been something that leadership has come naturally to me since I was a kid. That's just something that I know, but also something that has challenged me in that I always want to make sure that I'm doing a good job. I want to make sure that I'm improving and I want to make sure I'm doing well to the people that trust me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to cracking this shell open and exploring some of these ideas. What about you? What, what comes up for you when you think about the word leadership or the idea of leadership? When I think about the word leadership, it's less about, you know, I don't, I don't feel like, oh, well, people are going to think I, I do a good job. I, I, feel, I, I feel confident in my ability to lead. What comes up most for me is 
kind of the distinction that I think not everyone thinks about between management and leadership. Because I know that was a big epiphany for me when I truly learnt and realised that I'm a terrible manager. That's a story I tell myself. I'm a terrible manager, but I'm a great leader. And understanding the distinction that a manager is someone who is more holding people to account, checking in, have you done this, is, you know, check the far more people side of it, which, you know, I'm a techie, I'd like people to, but I like tech a lot better. Tech does what it's supposed to do. But I love leading. And leading is about painting a picture, painting a picture for the vision. It's about understanding people, connecting with people on a higher level than a micromanager approach. At least this is my distinction and definition between management and leadership. And that's what comes up most for me. When you started talking about that, I just all of a sudden was like reminded of going, yeah, I'm a great leader. I'm a terrible manager and that's okay. In fact, that's actually good in my view. I don't want to be a manager. I want to be a leader in my business. So can a business exist if the founder does not want to be a manager? Can it exist without the founder having management skills? 100% it can. You just need to find yourself a great manager to come involved and get on board. It's the, um, what is it, Rocket Fuel, I think, is the book that it talks about that. The integrator, there's, a, yeah. there's a test of the visionary with the integrator. You just need that integrator who loves that, is really good at that, and they can help build the team. If you suck at building teams, but what I would say, though, is I think while a business can do okay on management, great businesses can't exist without a leader. So mm. I believe that a leader needs a manager if they don't have the leadership, the management skills themselves, or they can't build at least enough in the beginning. Because let's be real, if you're listening right now, you may not have the resources to go and bring in a business partner or pay for someone to be an operations manager. So we're not saying, oh, don't just go, oh, I'm a great leader. I'm a terrible manager. I'm just not going to manage my people. Someone's going to need to do it. And that may need to be you right now. But know that you'll get to a point where you can bring that person in. Whereas if you're on the other side, you're a manager, you're good at managing people, you're probably getting a decent business built. Um, in fact, you're probably going to have a higher chance of success of building a good business as a manager than you are as a leader without management skills. But I do think there is this amazing combo when you can bring the two together. Leadership with the vision and inspiration and the way to kind of paint things forward and then the manager who's keeping things to account, keeping things on target. Hmm. I'm going to challenge you there a bit. Please. I think any founder in a business, even if you're the visionary CEO type or the visionary founder type, you're going to have to have some level of management just for the business to exist. And even if you 80-20 it, even if you just learn the basics, if you're in pure visionary mode all the time, unless you're at the stage of Branson where you have so many people around you that you don't even have to think about your own stuff. You probably don't even have to think about putting food on your table. You can just be in creation visionary mode all day long. Unless you're there, I think you've got to have some level of management to be able to get stuff done. And I don't think you're suggesting that you can get away with having zero management. What's uh, your definition I do of management? Totally. At least, well, we'll get there. <laughs> Let me come back to that. I'll define it properly. I think at, at least you need to be able to uh, communicate tasks. You need to be able to hold people accountable to those tasks. And the reality is, the reality is like if you've got a five, if you've got five people in your business or you've got three people in your business and you're the business owner, like you're going to have to do some management. 
100%. You can't get from three people or five people to 20 or 30 or 40 employees and not that that's the measure of a successful business, but you can't grow or scale any business or any team without having some kind of management in place. And maybe the jury will stay out on that between us, uh, but I think you have to have some of those skills. Now, am I a great manager? I think I'm okay. Uh, am I a great leader? I think, yeah, I'm probably better at leading and probably better in that visionary role than I am and actually doing the day-to-day management. But I also think I'm, I've had to force myself to develop the skills of some basic management to be able to exist. Otherwise, stuff just doesn't get done. <laughs> mm. it, like I dream it up and then it never actually gets past the dream stage. And then I get frustrated because I gave someone half a vision and then they didn't just magically read my mind and birth that thing into life. Yeah, see, I would, I to me, when I hear that, I go, okay, Yes, there was a problem on your side of communicating the vision, right? That's always a challenge. Is the vi- when you've got a vision, how do you take the thing that all the dots are connected in your head, all that context is there, how do you get enough of that across? And I think there's two responsibilities. There's one responsibility on us communicating it, but there's also the responsibility on the person that you're sending it to, you're, you're sharing this with, to ideally have someone who's got the ability to extract it from you to ask the missing pieces, to ask the questions. Now, sometimes that can be done by following a framework, right? Maybe you've got a framework that you can use to pull that out. Um, you know, I know Dan Sullivan uh, has some great frameworks around the idea of taking the idea and getting it out of their head and passing that on to other people. But there's also, I think it's a two-way responsibility. So what comes up for me there is going, you maybe just don't have the right person that you're communicating with who, or they haven't been empowered to extract the missing pieces from you so that they have a clear picture to then get on and do it. So I don't necessarily think that you need to have the management skill to communicate that if you had a great person in place who had those skills who could pull the missing info out and a really good manager, a really good project manager or some operations type person is going to be able to do that because they're really detail oriented and they're going to ask a thousand questions and get that information out of your head. So we've got some notes here on how we actually day-to-day lead our teams However, I'm looking at these notes and I'm thinking some of these are actually management, sitting mm-hmm. in meetings, you know, defining meeting structures, doing follow-ups. Are we on the right track here talking about leadership or should we be talking about management or am I misaligned with you? What do you think? I think that these are all really uh, still valuable parts because I think a lot of people listening right now don't cover the distinction between leadership and management. And There is an aspect, like on my leadership team are managers. Managers are a part of leadership. I just see them as very distinct skill sets to have. Hmm. Who's the leader? Who's the manager? And it can be one person, can be a combination of people, but they are part of the ultimate leadership of a business. So I'm cool to continue with what we're talking about. Uh, One of the things that I, I think about when it comes to leading is and maybe we can link over what would be the manager approach to this versus the leader approach, but like Hmm. You talked about the idea of what happens when something goes wrong. You know, what, what happens when a team member didn't do what you wanted? I have this mindset, values, thought process, whatever you want to call it, that if someone didn't achieve what I set out and wanted them to achieve, that it most likely was either a process problem, a training problem, or a handover problem. I didn't communicate clearly enough what was needed. That's my first call. I Before I think it's a people problem, 
And I think a lot of business owners, they're quick to point the finger at, you know, the person. This person is useless. This person can't do this. And I've been there. I've done that. They're not good at following instructions. Totally. And to me, the, the thought process of a good leader is one where they take ownership and responsibility. They, they know that ultimately as a leader, you're like the captain of the ship, that you're like, I'm going to go down with this ship. As the leader, I know that ultimately all responsibility, whether I made the decision or not, the buck kind of stops with me. That's kind of my thought of, that's what a leader thinks about. A manager looks at how do I get more performance out of my people? How do I do these things? Whereas a leader goes, ultimately, I know that this, is, this was my responsibility and how can we do better here? What's missing? What are the pieces that need to be in place? Did I not communicate this clearly enough? Did we not have good training for them? And only if there's a consistent ongoing problem with a particular person, and we've looked at all these people, these process and training and handover situations, only then do I start to go, maybe we've got a mismatch. This person's not in the right role. Uh, maybe they're not with the right role with the right company, but it, sometimes it's just, that's my, that's my default. And I feel like that's more of what a leader does. And so that's mm. one area there. Whereas, as I said, I think the manager would look at this differently and go, I need to performance manage this person. I need to get on and, and talk to them about what's going on in their world, which is still very true of a leader. You might, you want to connect with your people, ask what's happening in their personal life to see if there is a people element. But I generally think a, a leader has got a, a different approach to taking ownership of the role. So I like that distinction. I think what I'm hearing is that the leader looks at the situation as if they're tweaking the machine. They step back and they look at, you know, what's the process issue here? What do we need to change to have that person be successful in this situation? Whereas the manager is, how can I have this human comply with what the process is? Now, not Mm. saying that one of those approaches is better than the other because they are actually both needed. Um, you know, performance management and having staff comply to a process is absolutely needed or identifying, okay, this person went through the training, but maybe it didn't sink in. Let's re-put them through the training. You know, that kind of management stuff needs to actually happen. But what I'm hearing is that that clear distinction between how the two different roles will approach the same problem. Yeah, 100%. You've picked it up. And you need both. Down. You need both of those for it to actually work. 100%. 100%. So would you say Love now it. with that distinction... When you look at your team and you look at some of the things, how much would you say is leadership versus management? Uh, I would say do very little management. (laughs) I would say from that perspective, you have convinced me there is very little management that happens from me. However, day-to-day, interestingly, I am managing the marketing team in our business. Mm. And so that is a lot of time spent following up, setting objectives, um, you know, ensuring people are complying to processes. And it's mostly working with my marketing manager. Now, about 60% of my hat right now is management in that team, but 40% of my hat is developing the processes, developing the skills of my leader, delegating, and bit by bit actually edging myself out of that area of the business. So whereas right now I might have eight to 10 hours a week where I'm allocating to working in that area of the business, I'm going to be able to slowly reduce that down to maybe one hour a week. I mean, everywhere else across the business, I've got about an hour and a half a week on meeting with my executive team. I spend half an hour a week on financial management. There's not much else that's on my calendar apart from producing content and every now and again jumping in and you know doing some product development and, and fixing issues with some of the delivery teams. Um, and so I think when I'm reflecting on this now, you've got kind of sliding scales as an entrepreneur founder of when you are doing the leadership stuff 
and when maybe you have to engage in a bit of management stuff at different stages of the growth and the success of the business. And you'll do it multiple times, like you've just mentioned here, right? Like you're doing it now with the marketing team. You've already gone through this whole process, this whole level with different, you know, with your sales team, with your delivery team. I've done it with the sales team. I've done it with the delivery team, (laughs) with everybody team. And that, but that's, that's what I think a really good leader does. That's how you become a great leader is because you've gone through the process so many times and you empower others, you empower other people, which again, like another thing I think about with what a leader is versus a manager is, is the leader is not looking for the glory. Um, sometimes I'm not saying all managers, but sometimes the manager approach is a bit more. They're the hero. They're the person that can be gone to. They're the fix it person. Whereas the leader is a bit more like, I don't know about in your business, but I've, often have team members reach out to me or leaders in particular who will reach out to me and they'll ask me a question and I don't just give them the answer. Uh, if, I, if I can, I'm going to coach them through it. I'm going to be like, well, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking? Because I want to empower them. I want them to have the courage, confidence, whatever it is, because that's what they're coming to me for. They've already got their own thoughts. For them to be on my leadership mm-hmm. team, they already have the, the enough information usually to, to do it. And what they're looking for is confidence in their best decision. And so it's helping them build that so that they don't rely on needing me. Uh, you know, you, there's, a, there's a, such a thing as trained helplessness. If you're so quick to come back to your team when they ask you questions, they will learn to just ask you questions. It's faster to ask you for the answer than it is to figure it out themselves. And you train that helplessness. And that is a dangerous part in business, in my opinion, as you build teams. So that's another area that I think a, a good leader knows that their job is to coach their their team right like as you build the team you end up becoming like a coach whether you want to be a coach or not whether you run a coaching business you ultimately get to a point where that is your job you're coaching your 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 team whether you're talking to clients or not you're going to always still be coaching your team i think before we get into the practical stuff which we will soon that's such an important point to stop on and illustrate and that is journeying from you being the person with all the answers to you being the person running and facilitating the system, running and facilitating a system where answers are found. Uh, And, you know, what I've noticed is I've had challenges with that, particularly being in an IT support business. I'm like Mr. Fix stuff. That's my job. (laughs) That was literally my job when I was 15 years old running around helping people fix their stuff. It's still what our company does. We help fix stuff. And so when someone asks me a question, I want to help solve the problem and answer it. But I've had to force myself, beat myself into submission that when someone comes and asks a question of me, and I'm not perfect at this, I'm not perfect at this, but when I am conscious of it, I'm able to ask questions like, what resources do you have to work on that problem? What do you think the answer might be? In what ways could we find the answer? Or I Mm. might say, Here's my opinion. What's your opinion? Here's what I might do in that situation. What do you think is the best way to proceed? But at all times, if, if you're trying to you know, take that, that delegation and that responsibility away from yourself and empower your team members to make good decisions, uh, to, you know, to, to be able to actually literally take on things that you would otherwise have to be responsible for yourself, Part of empowering them, of course, is you know allowing them to fail and all of those things, and that can certainly be challenging. Um, but it's really important that you actually let them make their own calls, mm. let them make their decisions, let make the, them make their calls. And you might say, "Hey, well, you know what? I'm going to let you make a decision on this. Either way, I'm going to support you." Yes, I, I think or, that's important. Or, or, I, or I disagree with that idea. I disagree with that decision. My opinion is different, but I'm going to support you anyway. 
I'm going to support the decision anyway. And when you start to think like that and you really, you know, embody that, that coach mentality, uh, that's when your team are really going to be much more empowered in uh, being able to actually execute. I think there's something really important there you've touched on is the giving your team the authority to make decisions and giving them the confidence that you will back them even if they make a decision mm. that you don't agree with. That was a really important milestone I remember in, in our leadership team where we had to kind of go, I had to basically say to them, I said, look, I want you to make these decisions. I don't want you to be coming to me with these types of things. And I gave them a list of the types of things I was comfortable with them doing themselves versus where I need, I wanted them to reach out and involve me in some way. And I said, yeah. here's the thing, you, you're going to, going to, going to learn by making mistakes. So I want you to know that no matter what decision you make, even if I ultimately don't agree with the decision you made, I will back you. I will talk to clients. Yeah. I will do whatever. I will back the decision you made. I will never come and say, you've made the wrong call in this situation. Once we've dealt with that particular situation, I'm happy to talk to you and coach you through why I would have made a different decision and, and explain some context around that. But I want you to I want you to know with full confidence that I will be behind any decision you make. And that was a really powerful conversation that I had with my leadership team to give them that authority. And I think that's a real like because that's what most people think about. If you're an employee or you were an employee, you're scared of making a wrong decision. You think your job's on the line. You think, especially if it involves things yep. like money or you, know, you lost clients or you had to refund clients or some big thing happened. You know, people can be scared that you, you've, they've screwed it up and they're, they're going to be yelled at. And I think a true leader is able to go, well, I acknowledge that based on everything you had, you were doing the very best that you had available. All the resources, whether that was their personal circumstances, whatever, they made the best call they could in that moment. And they deserve to be backed because that's what you as a leader are there to do to support them. And um, yeah, that's just a really important, important point. Did you ever have a conversation like that. that with your team? I have. And without getting too corporate -y, you can put in some really basic guidelines for your team to use. For example, we have a rule. If there's a problem and it can be solved for less than $100, then you don't need authorization to solve it. Just go ahead and do it. Um, our CFO is authorized up to $1,000 without having to ask me, just takes care of it. Um, and they are a do and report type, type task where it just gets done and then I just get notified about it. Hey, this happened, I've decided to do this. Um, as you're developing these processes, I've given you just one example. Uh, from time to time, we've had our team uh, uh, you know, come to us, we have a team in the Philippines and one of the characteristics of a Philippines team is asking for loans from time to time to either help out with PC hardware or family stuff or, you know, whatever else that someone might need. And I'd have my operations manager come to me often and say, hey, this person needs this loan for this, what do you think? Hey, this person needs this loan for, thing, for this, what do you think? And really, I don't care. I don't really have the decision-making power or energy or bandwidth to be making those decisions uh, because it's not really, really my job to. And so the question that I would ask was, what does our policy say? Is this request in line with the policy that we have chosen for our business? Because that makes it really simple. And that actually exactly. makes it simple for that person to make the decision without needing to come to me each time. If we define a way that we do things and that way is documented and that way is agreed on and that way is, it, sure, there can be exceptions from time to time, but that way is agreed upon and known by everyone that this is how we're going to do things then it makes it pretty easy to make those decisions. Um, and so there's a balance here. You don't want to go too bureaucratic in all of your systems and processes and you don't want to end up with 10 million rules. That doesn't really work. 
Um, but having a way and a set of guidelines that are documented and are known makes it really easy to make these decisions and really easy for others to make them without you having to think about it. I think that's really important, actually, that you brought up the the power of what a policy is, because I think it can be easy in small business land to kind of go, what's the point of having policies? Like, that's such a corporate big thing. Or I remember that from previous jobs I had. And it's so true, though, that as you get to a certain size, um, policies become a crucial part of creating rules of the game that we're kind of all going, this is what we agree to. And this gives us a bit of third party authority for another manager or leader or whoever to kind of when someone comes to them and says something whether that be a client or a team member that they've got something they can reflect back on and without it having to be you as the leader this like policy basically is a substitute for you in that moment it's going well unfortunately our refund policy is this unfortunately this is how things work or your our leave policy is you had to give us this you know this number of days you didn't do that so we're not going to approve your leave things like that uh, and that's the power of of using a policy to extend your leadership skills. And I think that's that's a great point to, to share. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. I think having policies is really important. What's also important is having the team know that there are uh, special circumstances around the policies as well. Uh, you know, we we don't want Guidelines, to be not rigid. Yeah. And we want to have the ability for those, for anyone really to challenge the policies that we've set out as well. Because if it's a stupid policy, then get rid of it, challenge it. Um, but let's bring the conversation back to you know what we do. I said that I wanted to get practical. So let's talk about some of the ways that we actually manage and work with our team. I think a couple of things we've touched on already are how we respond to uh, you know someone coming to us with a problem or a challenge. Um, how do we kind of like work with our team and set the intention of what our role is and you know if our role is a coach and our role is the architect of the system then we're not going to be too focused on the people side of things we're going to be more focused on designing a system where people can thrive uh what else do you do from a leadership perspective carl that you think would be useful to the listener i think there's maybe two key things i'd love to share here the first is around communication cadence and, you know, being a leader, you and I are both in a situation where we don't live in our businesses 24-7 or even five days a week. So how do you ensure that there's still communication and visibility? And I'll share that. And the other thing I think would be really uh, interesting to share, I'd love to hear on your side, but share a little bit on a high level overview of kind of like what an organizational chart looks like in my business as well. I think that might help people understand. And so... I'll start with the communication cadence. The, the way that I've set things up, and in, it is in no way perfect. I'm not saying model exactly what I've done. I'm just sharing what we're doing and it's doing okay. Um, firstly, I have a few weekly meetings. Um, I'm not required at any of these meetings. So this is important that I've set up every single meeting. Actually, that's not true. There is one meeting, the operations meeting, that if I don't show up, the operations manager is sitting by herself. So that that is a lie. Uh, but that's run every two weeks. So that's like an every two weeks, I have to show up at that one, unless we've had an agreement that there's nothing to discuss and we won't do it. But every other meeting that runs has involves other team members. It runs whether I show up or not. So one of the first things that I set up was ensuring that I am not the host of any of these meetings. I do not run these meetings. I'm a participant of the meeting. That was really important to ensure that these meetings, these communication cadences between these teams was happening. It was really important. I, could, I wanted the flexibility to be able to show up, 
or not show up based on what was going on in life priorities and ensure that there was still value happening on that meeting. That also ensured that it wasn't just a, a meeting where people were coming to ask Carl a whole bunch of questions, that there was value for them to show up whether I was there or not. So the meetings that we do, we do a weekly uh, leadership meeting. So this is my entire leadership team. Uh, so we, in my business in automation agency, we have um, different kind of delivery teams. So this is a lot more of a delivery meeting, I guess, in many ways. Our head of customer service is there, our operations manager is there. I'm there most times. The head of the web team, the head of the automation team, the head of the security team, the head of the design team. These are more like heads of our delivery. They're all there. And this meeting effectively follows the level 10 model from, uh, I can't remember the book. I'm not sure. I didn't actually get it from the book. Uh, I think it's EOS, Entrepreneur Operating System or something. I think it's from, mm-hmm. from their model. Um, but someone somewhere along the line shared with me a, a YouTube video of level 10. So if you haven't seen it, go and check it out. Google level 10 meeting on YouTube. Uh, there was a great video that just basically outlined the structure. And we just went, you know what, let's model that structure. And uh, we'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to that video. Now, I don't run this meeting, so I'm not even going to try and tell you what that structure is off the top of my head because I'll probably get it wrong. Uh, I know that we start with like our good news. I know we start by sharing good news, which I love. I know we go through our scoreboard, which is another really important thing that we, we do the scoreboard process, which is ensuring, like we, we talked about this episode being about how do we lead teams for results. One of the most important ways to do that is to help the team know what the result and the score is. You, yeah. Business is just like playing a game, right? If you're playing a game of football or soccer or cricket or whatever it is you're playing, basketball, there's a scoreboard. There's a way of knowing what team, what does is, what is winning look like and which team is winning. Now, in our business, we set up our scores based on a target number. So many, many years ago, we had problems in our, in our company where We had incentive schemes that were kind of bonus structures that kind of created a lot of conflict. Team members were competing with each other and it wasn't wasn't harmonious for our internal culture. And so we switched that and we ended up creating bonus schemes and various scoreboards linked not against each other, but having the entire company working together to a common goal that was the business winning. Uh, And so we call this the critical number. And so that's what we're reporting on. We're reporting on what is the critical number. We're going through profit and loss. So with my leadership and management team, they have full transparency. They know what the profit and loss of the business looks like. And then we go through what are the key drivers? What are the key drivers in the business that drive the particular numbers that we're trying to improve? And I, again, I'm not the one reporting this. Their team members are each showing up and they're reporting on these scoreboard numbers and they are better understanding. It gives them an understanding of how the business is going. So that's a really important way we do it. And the other thing that I really like about the level 10 structure we do as well on this meeting is we end every meeting with giving it a rating out of 10. How was this meeting out of 10? And we classify eight as a passing score. If the meeting gets an average of eight, so everyone's given their number, as long as we got an eight out of 10, it was a good meeting. If it was less than an eight out of 10, we then go, kind of report back on what could be improved for next next week so we can improve the meeting to make sure it's valuable. Um, so that's kind of like our core leadership meeting happens every week. Uh, the other meetings follow very similar structures, but they're just with different teams. So I have an engineering team meeting. Uh, the engineering team for me is more like my product team, the platform, our custom portal and things that we use to the technology stack. So I've got a team of developers and also this, this software company I'm building, I think I mentioned in another episode. So I'm meeting with those developers. Um, I have a client experience meeting. 
This is the client experience team who are part of our growth team. Uh, and so this is a meeting every two weeks that again, I will usually show up to. And it's same structure. We'll go through the scoreboard. We'll talk about what's been working well, or like the good news. We'll do headlines around customers as well as employees. Um, and then we work through challenges. That's the other key part. This is very specific that then it's like what challenges came up this week that we want to address and we'll trust what's the most important one and we'll spend as much time as we can. Another really important part of our meeting is that all of them have a fixed time. They can never run over time. The meeting always has to end at a certain point, whether we're done discussing what we were discussing or not, this meeting will end. And we chose to do that because we were getting to a point where meetings were just going on and on. Cause I can ramble. You've listened to some episodes, you know, I can ramble. And so it was really important that we had an end date. It was really important. We had an end time and date for every meeting. And so we know to wrap up the meeting and go, Hey, there's five minutes left. It's time to rate the meeting, whether we finish the point or not. Um, so what was it? I had my leadership meeting, got my engineering meeting, got the client experience meeting, and then I have an operations meeting. And that operations meeting is with uh, the head of operations. And basically that meeting is usually me dialing in and she's just giving me a report. It's very, there's very few times that I'm having to ask questions or give her a direction. It's far more usually a her going, hey, so here's what's going on. We've, we've had to recruit some more people here. We've done this. This is what's happening. Just giving you a heads up. I might ask a few more questions, but generally it's far more of a, you know, 20 minute debriefing of this. Sometimes there's a look, I need your decision on this. Here's my options. And I really trained all of my team, not just the operations manager, that if you're ever going to anyone in the business with a question, you should always try and show up with at least two options. Here is my question. Here are two options or answers I'm thinking. Am I on the right track or what would you do instead? And that that's flowed through my entire team that generally gets us faster decision-making in the entire business. So that's kind of the communication cadence. Uh, I'll get to the org chart stuff a bit later. Pete, did you have anything you wanted to add on your side? Yeah, there's a couple of points from that that I want to distill down. Um, one is the different levels of delegation. And there's a great book by uh, the person who wrote The One Minute Manager, which is called The One Minute Can Manager someone? Builds Teams. And it talks about the different stages of a team. An early stage team, you're doing a lot of driving uh, and you're, you're, you're running the meeting as such. And then bit by bit, you're slowly moving yourself out. And so I would say they sound like established teams. And you know, we know you have an well-established business in that it doesn't even matter if you show up to the meeting or not. The meeting still happens and the meeting still runs because everyone knows what they need to do. And I like what you said about there being value for each person there outside of Carl coming to the meeting and answering questions. So that really made me think, okay, for the meetings that I participate in, uh, you know, what is the value in Peter being there? And could I not show up to some of them? Now, there's only about three that I do. And so uh, I do need to be in those. Um, but it is an important point for you not to necessarily run the meeting. I like sharing the running of the meetings. I don't enjoy being the the big dog <laughs> and, you know, like hearing the sound of my own voice unnecessarily. Uh, I actually prefer watching other people succeed. And I think taking that back seat and allowing things to work and things to run is a really pleasurable thing for a leader. Uh, at least I get a lot of fulfillment from that. Uh, having a team fostered, but then being able to sit back and allow them to actually just operate as a team, not having to be driven by you all the time. I get a lot of personal enjoyment from, but I think, yeah, what I think about, when I hear your shares there is that, uh, you know, bit by bit, you're going to be first starting really actively involved 
and then bit by bit you're going to be moving back and moving out of your teams and allowing them to do their things and in a way that kind of comes down to what we were talking about about focusing on the different areas of your business over time the sales team or the delivery team and right now i'm managing the marketing team um this is going to be time that you spend in all of the different areas of your business I won't go too far into the types of meetings that I do because I think you covered that off practically uh, quite well there, Carl. But the thing that I've noticed in my team is, you know, apart from having to jump into all different areas of the business over time, that's just a part of it. The organizational structure, we've gone with a pod structure for our delivery teams. And so with those pods, they're usually two to three, sometimes four people, and then we'll have a pod leader. And they work as a really tight-knit group. They check each other's work. They are you know, chatting to each other during the course of the day. They might even be jumping on a hangout and co-working together. But that structure works really well to have small, tight-knit teams. And then in terms of a leadership and a management structure, keeping to that rule of trying not to have more than five people under any one person is going to make things work pretty well. Now, there's all kinds of you know, non-autocratic, you know, democrat, radically democratic, flat organizational structures that have been talked about over the last five or 10 years. I am, you know, struggling really to find much value in having things completely free of any levels of, uh, of hierarchy. But hierarchy doesn't have to be about control and commanding. Hierarchy can be about leadership, about flow of information, and then about making sure that people have the right, let's say, uh, direction of flow in accountability is probably the easiest way to say that. And what that means is that you have some staff who are responsible for pushing or pulling or leading or moving things in the right direction. And then you have other staff that are responsible for the doing work. And without getting into a million different layers of management, having some actual management and some leadership structure to execute that works really well. I think it helps if we think about ourselves as the mechanics of our business. We think about ourselves as a consultant to our business. And what that means is if you were to remove yourself, if you were to not show up to a meeting or if you were to not show up to work, can the business still run without you? Jim Collins, who's an uh, excellent business consultant and writer, wrote that great business ceases to be great if it is no longer great without the founder. And so if you step away from your business and it falls down like a house of cards because you are the one pushing the whole thing, then it's not actually a business. You're just a business owner with 20 or 30 assistants working for you. And so you have to see yourself as separate to the business. Think about yourself like a CEO of a publicly listed company. If you were to leave the organization and another CEO come in, could they pick pick up the reins and run that business successfully? If the board fired you, would that business close and cease to exist? And when you think about the business in that way, that the business is not reliant on you, the business is not chained to you, uh, then you can really have great results in how you structure your teams and how you approach that day-to-day management and leadership with the people that are in the business. 100%. And it's interesting to hear you share about the pods approach. Like we do the same kind of thing, but we call them squads. And so we've got little squads who have then got there and each squad has a squad leader, then there's a team leader, and then the team leaders then has the operations manager that they report to and then ultimately ops manager like reports to me and that's just on our delivery side that's how the whole delivery side of what we do 
uh, is um, the other teams that we have is we have then a growth team and our client experience team fits underneath that. So growth is about sales, marketing, retention. It's all about what's the things that key, the key growths. And then I've got a product team, which is kind of the engineering team, the people who are developing the platform and the other bits of the product. And I, I'd say that the one place that I enjoy spending most of my time is in the product team. I love looking at what the market is doing. I like thinking about how we can improve the product for our clients, how we can make things better. And there's a crossover in some of those teams. The growth team will talk to the product team because, you know, client experience informs how product should change. Uh, And that's effectively, if you were wanting to visualize what my org chart looks like, it's kind of me and then those different pods, the growth team, the delivery team, and the product team. And that's, that's kind of, I sit across all of that. And then each of those, the operations manager kind of sits across them all as well, but it's really effectively me at the top there. And then everyone else is kind of running their own little core, core ways of doing things. Um, and it's I love everything. Simple that- design really. It's not, it's not that complicated and it really doesn't, doesn't have to be complicated either. I think that's important. I think over the years, you know, I, I've done the exercise. Oh, I'm sure you have too, Pete, where, you know, they say when you want to build your business, sit down, draw out your organizational chart of all the ideal roles that you want to have and then put your yes. name in everything that you're currently doing now and then build that. So I've had crazy, ridiculous org charts over the years of what things would look like. If I was going to 10X the business, what do I need? And I think it's a worthwhile exercise at times. Uh, but I think also it can be, people can overcomplicate things and they want to create people and roles that really aren't necessary. And they, you know, I'd be interested in your point actually here. This, this would be really curious to me. Do you think that there is a time in business when it makes sense to have a whole bunch of specialists versus generalists? Is there a certain point when you're leading teams and you're building your teams that we hit a point where it's like, all right, generalists were kind of helpful in the beginning and now I want specialists. And is there ever a point that it goes from specialists were great, now it's time to go back to generalists? What's your experience? Is there all good assistant? Okay, so you asked me about your, specialists your thoughts, versus generalists. Yeah, your thoughts on like in business, does it make sense to, is there certain times that you want to fill your role, like your org chart, you're filling these names in. That's kind of the context I'm talking about. People sitting across multiple roles. That one. Oh, good. You can say that. I'm not sure how to answer that one. I think it's I, I, the reality is that I'm actually a little bit disconnected from the hiring. <laughs> uh, so let me ask it a different way. Then let me ask it a different way. Yeah. If when you're looking at if you were designing a new organizational chart now, when you're writing these positions are you envisaging that every single position is a completely new individual who owns completely owns that role or are you okay with one person's name showing up in multiple roles and is there a point in the business journey that you think that should shift as to when one person is doing multiple roles versus there's one person in every role like is the vision and dream do you think everyone should be aiming to fill every individual position with an individual person? Great question. I think all that really matters is are people doing things that, that are aligned to their skill set and are aligned to what makes them happy? I think if you've got someone who's doing the same kind of work across two different roles, that's fine. Right now, I'm sitting across finance, 
I'm sitting across the executive team and I'm also sitting across the marketing team. I've got a bit of a split in the kind of work that I'm doing. In the marketing team, I'm doing a little bit of creative strategy, whereas for the executive and for the finance team, it's more management and execution of strategy, right? So I'm not in a role that's playing to my strength all the time. To be honest, I'm, I'm challenged a little bit with the creative side of the marketing because it's less of what I enjoy these days, let's say that. And so I am more drawn to just managing the finances and kind of tweaking the machine. So I would say I'm not too worried about people sitting over multiple roles as long as they're playing to their strengths. But there is something important that I do want to add on this note, and that is that as you go through the growth of the business and you have different people coming in and out of different roles, what you will have is a difference between those that are builders and those that are doers. And what I mean by that is the builders are those that come in earlier in the business who are really, really capable at doing multiple roles, at doing multiple types of working. And they are those that are good at setting things up, good at starting things. If you're starting a sales team, your first salesperson you hire, you want a sales gun, someone who can talk the talk, who can make things up and you know is the kind of person who's going to be able to hit the ground running because they can... As we say in the entrepreneurial world, you can build the airplane as you go down after you've jumped off the cliff, right? But yeah. over time, as your team matures and as that area of the business matures, then that person is going to get a bit bored with just running the system and just doing the doing work. And so you need to start stocking that team with doers. And so I think that's important to manage, um, you know, finding a new place for that person who's the starter, finding a new challenge for them. Or sometimes it's the case where they move on naturally from the business and you have doers come in. There's certainly those different stages in different teams. Definitely. And like the reason I ask is I know I found there was a certain point where it started to make sense to hire people who just had a specific skill set. But there are certain roles that I'm quite okay with people sitting across multiple channels. Um, But I definitely found in the delivery side of things and sometimes even in the marketing side of things that rather than trying to bring in one marketer who knows everything, it's great to bring in a marketing project manager who knows how to draw it all together. And then they can work with individual specialists, whether they be in-house or external agencies like Automation NC or whether they're external like freelancers or whatever, like copywriters. And I've found that that's a a really crucial way of finding that there's certain roles that a specialist will just give you far better bang for buck than trying to get someone in who can do everything. And And I see that when I talk to clients sometimes. They're like, I want this magical person who can do everything. It's like, there's a reason that we do graphic design, marketing like automation and web and they're different teams because they're completely different skill sets different specializations different hats i wouldn't want to find one person who can do all those things and i think that's that's important sometimes for people to realize that in the beginning you might have generalists and there'll be certain points where it makes sense to specialize absolutely and i think fundamentally you're never going to have a business that is not fluid in some way it needs to be fluid and you need to be flexible as well. There's always going to be that one person who's in half a role or one team that's under-resourced or one team that's over-resourced or someone who's not performing great. That's just kind of part of it. I kind of have the feeling that for the most part, a business is only ever going to be 80 or 90% in control and that remaining 10 or 15% is going to feel out of control at, at any one time. But that's I think that's kind of the game, that there is no perfect system. And in order for you to experience growth, 
for you to be open to change and for you to go and chase those goals and those success, there is a large amount of creation that needs to happen. And for creation, well, you need a bit of chaos along the way. Chaos, exactly. Chaos is what leads Healthy to creation. Chaos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, well, with so, that, yeah, you just uh, go through probably time. Probably time to wrap it up, Carl. Any, any last thoughts that you want to put down on leading and managing our teams effectively? I think I just want to say that wherever you're at right now, whatever team size you have, I think the best skill that any entrepreneur can develop is their leadership skills. Whether you think you're a good leader now or not, as you grow and you go through life, being a leader, whether that's leading your business and leading the people, that's really going to help you succeed long-term. But ultimately, it's going to show up the way you live life. If you can take on the mentality and the mindset of a really conscious leader and i remember there was a book that pete you and i both kind of cheatedly read for a book club and i think it was called the 12 12 something or others of conscious leaders we'll find it and we'll make sure there's a link in the show notes but like that book was a really great example of what a really good leader will do and i think if you take on those kind of attributes in your business it will flow on in the way that you live life and I, in my experience that's really made a profound effect on how um, life has unfolded for me i love it we're going to finish there guys thank you so much for catching our episode of entrepreneurs rising if you want to check out the show notes and everything related to connecting with us headlong to rising.show where you can access all of our back catalog of episodes make sure you are subscribed on itunes or on android spotify even uh, google podcasts we are coming to as well and we would love to grab your review if you have not yet left a review for us please leave your honest review on itunes that really helps us reach more people and give us a star rating for worth five stars that'd be absolutely awesome if you have any improvements for the show go ahead and send us a message we'd love to hear from you and until next time thank you so much for joining see you later carl ciao